Hello and good morning. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. How are you today? Loving this because I, I've been waiting to talk with you because I want to know how you put your imagination inside this storyline and what you had to do when the book came to an end because you really put us into this storyline as readers. But the author has got to live it first. You know, that is a very interesting question. Um, and I and that's exactly what I think my goal is as an author, is to um, be so into um, a story, a place, a setting, a history myself, that that is exactly what the reader experiences as well. And, you know, for me, it's really just all about taking such a deep dive um, into the history of a place and really just trying to reach back and um, find the reality of the human experience that happened during this time. And so, you know, I do that by listening to people's stories and, and interviewing people and reading documents, whatever clues, you know, that I can find um, to really understand the reality of a place. Um, And sometimes that is a very um, dark place to be. And sometimes it's an incredible, incredibly joyful place to be as well. Doing that research, I mean, I, I'm a, such a research nut. I mean, I've got to do it. I've got to do it because that's part of the personality yeah. of the final performance. And it's like when you go in there inside World War II, where did you go to so that you could envision what everything was looking like? Yeah, well, the first thing I did um, for Artifice is I went to Amsterdam Um because I think the city is is almost a character in itself yeah. and is a bit of a metaphor for um, you know the the juxtaposition between the the beauty of Amsterdam and the real ugliness of the of the Nazi occupation. So obviously I wanted to go there, but you know one of the amazing things that happens when you start putting things out into the world that you can't anticipate is. Someone had said to me, um, you know, in my own hometown, they said, there's this man, he lived through the Nazi occupation of Amsterdam. And I said, I'd love to talk to him. So I made an appointment and we chatted. And um, and it turned out that he had known one of the characters that I was writing about in the book, Han von Megren, the art forger. And he was able to tell me all these wonderful things about what his art studio was like and what kind of paintings were hanging on his walls and what sort of man he was. And I thought, you know, it is so incredible. I was getting ready to go to Amsterdam to find out all of these things. And and, and all of this wealth of information was 15 minutes from my house. Um, and, and that's what happens when you just start Seeking. You just never yeah. know what you're going to find. See, that's what I love about being a writer is the fact that if you know, if you allow the energy that's around you to just move through you, you're gonna you're gonna find things that that like we've ignored. We walk right by them every day, but open yourself up as a writer, and all of a sudden it's like, what's what's going on? And you know, I don't even understand the science behind that, except <laughs> I know it's true. So I, th- I think it, I think it must be mystical somehow, but it's absolutely true. Well, and here, here's the thing, Sharon, that 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 I love about this story is that my father was in World War II. I've heard so many stories about the artwork in yeah. World War II, and 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 you know, even sixty mm-hmm. minutes and CBS Sunday Morning, and that. But you you give us a spin on it with the forgery, and and it's like, oh man, yeah. of course that was taking place. 
<laughs> and it's such a fascinating story, yes. isn't it? I, you know, Han von Megren, the forger, was um, absolutely, he was fooling everyone. He had, he had discovered a way to create what I could only term as plastic paint, um, paint that could crack and be made to look like a 400-year-old painting. And, and he was taking in everyone, museums, collectors. When the Nazis invaded, he just kept right on doing it. <laughs> and he sold a faked Vermeer to Hermann Goring, second in command of the Reich. And that, that painting hung over Goring's desk as the jewel of his art collection. Um, it, it's really, it's really hoodwinking the Nazis is always delicious. It's, it's irresistible. <laughs> um, you know, but I have to say, Han von Megren, you know, he made what would now be the equivalent of $23 million selling forgeries and he was living it up while the rest of the Netherlands starved. Wow. Um, so there, there's two sides to every true story for sure. The, the money raised uh, has a higher purpose. I mean, was, was it not about saving the babies? Yes, absolutely. Um, the other true story um, that that sort of balances the story of Han von Megren was an, was another real man who was living in Amsterdam during the war. His name was Johan von Holst, and he started a baby smuggling ring. Yeah. Basically, he was rescuing Jewish babies and toddlers that were being held in their own prison, um, getting ready to be sent directly to the gas chambers. Um, so they were taking babies and putting them in laundry baskets and shopping sacks and handing them out the windows and anything they could do um, to spirit these children out of the city, make them disappear, and give them a chance at life. Um, they are credited with saving at least 600 Jewish babies and toddlers during the war. And it was probably actually more than that. Of course, the sad part of the story is it could have never been enough for every child they had to choose to save. They had to choose to leave one behind. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. But, you know, it's the, it's the difference between these two men that I think really fascinated me. They were of about the same age, grew up in the same city. I think they even looked a little bit alike. But you could not see two people who used their time and their talents more differently. And all I could think of was when I knew about these two, two, two true stories is what would have happened if Johan von Hulst, the baby smuggler, had had Han von Megren, the forger's $23 million. Mm, mm. I think the world would have been a completely different place. Mm -hmm. And that's the that's the question I really wanted to explore in Artifice. See, that that's the, the author and you coming out in a, in a way of planting seeds or, or even Easter eggs in that. Because you'll put things on a page and, and you, you stop for a moment as a reader and you Google it. You go, oh, my God. And, and you start and you, you, you <laughs> right. it, it's like you're, you're educating us, but in an entertaining way, if you know what I mean. Oh, I, I hope so. I hope it's I hope it's um, I hope it's an entertaining way. And I hope it's a way that you don't know that you're being educated, that you're just living a world. I really, really want my readers to be able to live the world that I'm that I'm showing them. When did you realize that this book was going to be authentic? In other words, I mean, it, it starts off as a thought. You kind of dibble dabble around. And all of a sudden, when it starts coming together, it's, and, and, and you're shocked as the author of how it's coming together, it's like, where is it coming from? Yeah, I think that's that's such an interesting question because 
I, I guess I can't speak for every author, but I know for me that I don't often actually know the deeper part right. of what of what a story is trying to say or what I am actually going to pull from my own story um, until I've finished it. And for this one, it was it was very much about choice. Um, this is my third World War II book, and and previously I have I have written about choices of of courage and sacrifice and humanity over hate and seeking justice and self-transformation. That's what those stories mean to me. And I looked back at Artifice and I realized that this is really a story about choosing beauty, Mm -hmm. like choosing to preserve what is beautiful in our world and how we can choose for ourselves to create a world around ourselves that is that is beautiful we can surround ourselves with what is good and we can seek it and choose it and build it and rebuild it even when the rest of the world is a world of of real ugliness and i think that is so relevant to our lives today you know we live in so many ways in such an ugly world Mm -hmm. and there are terrible things that are happening around us but that choice to choose what is good and what is beautiful and surround ourselves with that, um, that's a powerful choice. And and I think it's a life changer. I I really think it can be a world changer. I can't imagine what your creative imagination is going through with all the research that you have done on all three books with World War II, and then you get snapshots of what's happening on this planet now. There there has to be something that's giving you flashbacks because, I mean, you're being creatively sent back to World War II, but look at the world now, and it's like, ugh. It, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that we could all agree that the hate that created the Holocaust is alive and well in our world and in many different forms and in different forms of genocide that are still, you know, taking place today. Um, it, these, these are very relevant topics. Um, and, and I think that sometimes as an author, it's very difficult yeah. to, to plumb those depths you know, and realize that we're still plumbing the depths of what human beings are capable of. But what I always try to remember, and I think what I have pulled a lot from my own stories and from these histories, is that there is always the balance. There is always the light on the other side. And there are people who have lived and who have made these choices of courage and sacrifice. And we may never know their names, but they have always, always been. And that means they're here now, too. Yeah. And, and I think that actually gives me a lot of hope. There's a, there's a lot of hope in these books for our world, while at the same time acknowledging that we have a lot of challenges yeah. and that we need to be challenged by these choices of yesterday so we can make a stand and decide what to do with our choices today, right now. I, I, I wish you could see my notes because I put a note in here when, while I'm reading it. And, and, that, and, it's, and I go, I want to know who the Sharon of, of, of the 80 years from today is going to be writing about because they're going to find your book and they're going to see how you, you turned World War II into a subject that we can talk about long after it happened because it's going to be the Forgotten War just like the Korean War. But because you're sharing the stories, right. you're keeping it in the conversation. And, you know, I think that's something that's actually really, really important to me. I, it's important to me to 
to write things that are timeless in a way because uh, because they are important and have deep meaning for different times of our history. I, I think I've always been a person who's just really, really aware since childhood. Yep. I've been very aware of the idea that so much of our history, the, the reality of human experience has been lost. It, it dies with people's memories. Mm-hmm. And, and every time I reach back into the past and I grab one of these stories, one of these people, one of these little bits of our experience, and, and I put it down on a page, it feels a little bit like a rescue to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that really satisfying um, to hopefully have these stories live in a timeless way. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, think, I think the war, I think the war with Israel right now will be something that people will be writing about. Yep. I hope that we'll be writing about the experiences of the pandemic. I hope we'll be, we will be writing about the things that take place in Africa right now. I, I think there are so many stories in this world that need to be recorded and, and put on paper in a way that is not just a fact that we learn, yeah. but is... And it makes us feel these stories because I, I really believe that the facts will fade from memory, but when we feel, when we feel another person's pain, when we feel their joy, that is something that we're never, ever going to forget. And that is what makes a story live. Mm-hmm. And I hope that's what I can do. Yeah. You know where those stories are? They're being written, but they're in boxes underneath underneath people's beds. They're up in attics. They're in garages. And because <laughs> yeah. people are so afraid yeah. to release their writing. And it takes people like yourself to inspire them. Just take a step. Just take a step. Get it out there. Yeah. One, one step at a time. I, you know, I think, I think all of us, um, you know, when we start, I know when I started this creative journey, if I had known, you know, every single step that it was going to take, would I have even started? I don't know. I, I think the important thing is to recognize your own passion, you know, to, to reach out for that thing that is meaningful to you and so important to you. For me, it's these, it's these heroes of the past and, and these people who took a stand. Find whatever that thing is for you, put it on the page, and, and then just, like you said, take a step. Yep, yep. Take a small step, put it out there, let somebody else read it. Um, let another person read it. Let another person read it. And, and let these stories have their own life. I still find it to be a really scary thing to do. Yeah. It's a very vulnerable thing to do. Yep. Um, you know, but, but it also is so worthwhile and it is so ultimately satisfying. So, yeah, I would encourage anyone who has that passion to, to let that passion lead them. You sharing that journey that deep, let me ask you a question, because your last name is Cameron. Any relation to Julia Cameron, or have you yeah. studied? You are? No. Oh, oh. no, I'm not. No, <laughs> I was just, uh, yeah, I was just thinking what you said about Cameron, you know, because ironically, um, my, my last name is really the whole reason I got into writing. I, I was a musician. I was a classical pianist for many years, wow. and I thought I would do that forever. Um, but I had been researching Camerons and, and the Cameron name, which led me to a little obscure you know, piece of history about what happened to this one Cameron family in, during uh, the 7045 rebellion that happened in Scotland. Wow. And 
that is really what led me to sit down for the first time in my life and start writing unassigned words. And I didn't find out till much later and because of DNA projects and that kind of thing that everything I had writing about really was direct ancestry uh, for, for my family. So it made me feel like somehow I was doing what I was supposed to supposed to do Um, but it was because of the Cameron name that the whole thing that the whole thing started wow you got to come back to this show anytime in the future the door is always going to be open for you oh please I would love to walk through that door anytime excellent will you be brilliant today okay okay you too thank you so much it was a really a huge pleasure